0: Hi everyone, and thanks for listening. You're listening to another episode of Bright Lights, Consumer Trends in Conversation with Element 54. I'm your host, Julianne Ng. In today's episode of Sustainable Futures, where we look at sustainability trends from the perspective of different industry experts, I have the pleasure of speaking with two special guests from Equifruit, Jenny Coleman and Kim Shakal. Jenny Coleman has been the owner and president of Equifruit since 2013. She combines a lengthy career in business with long-standing social justice roots set during two years of volunteer work in Namibia in the mid-90s. She loves fair trade for its pragmatic approach to sustainable business. She loves Equifruit for the fruit, yum, the farmers, and the fact that something as simple as eating a fair trade banana can have such a positive impact on someone's life and community. Equifruit was recognized at the 2020 Canadian Fair Trade Awards with the prize for excellence in producer partnerships and the packer named Jenny one of their 2021 Women in Produce. Kim Chakal is the Director of Sales and Marketing at Equifruit. Over the past six years, she has established Equifruit as a Canadian market leader for fair trade bananas, and her sights are set on global fair trade domination. Her fearless and bold approach is making waves in the produce industry. With 20 years of sales experience, she loves challenging people to rethink their consumption habits and consider fair trade as a sustainable solution in produce. Welcome to the podcast, Jenny and Kim, it's a pleasure to have you as our guest today. Thank you, Julianne. Lovely to be here. Yeah, thank you very much for having us. I'm so excited to be speaking with you today. To start, um, this is a question I've been asking other guests, and it's partly because there are so many different facets to sustainability and so many different definitions. So I'd love to hear from you in terms of how you define sustainability. Jenny, would you like to start? Sure.
1: Sustainability for us is bigger than just the packaging that we're using. Often people talk about sustainability with a, with a fairly narrow environmental focus, which is, of course, extremely important. But we see sustainability more broadly. We see it across its three pillars, economic, social, and environmental. And we see the best tool for us to um, meet sustainability goals in the banana industry, in the produce industry, through an adherence to the fair trade system,
0: um, whose standards, yeah, cover those three pillars.
2: That's great. Thank you. And what about you, Kim? Yeah, so maybe just to unpack that a little bit, uh, Equifruit bananas are 100% Fair Trade Certified. Fair Trade International is the certifying body, and we work with the local chapter of Fair Trade Canada. So, when we're talking about sustainability, we work with our farmers in Peru and Ecuador, and we have to respect pricing that has been set by Fair Trade International in partnership with the with the farmers. And those minimum floor prices that we have to respect are meant to reflect the cost of sustainable production. So, it sounds really obvious, you know. Obviously a farmer has to sell their product for at least what it costs them to produce it, but that's really not the case. Oftentimes, especially in agriculture, uh, farmers are just subject to fluctuating market prices, which often will dip well below the cost of sustainable production. But if you're a farmer in the middle of South or Central America or anywhere in the world for that matter, surrounded by your crop and you have no plan B, well, you're gonna sell your crop to whoever at whatever price they're willing to give to you. When you are certified by fair trade, it it assures you that uh, an importer like Equifruit has to respect these minimum floor prices. And then in addition to those floor prices, we also have to pay something called a social premium, which in the case of bananas is really simple. It's one US dollar per case. And then the farmers, they decide democratically how to reinvest those funds. That $1 per case has to get reinvested in projects that have social, social impact, economic impact, and environmental impact. And as the importer, it's, we're gonna get a full audit report on how that was spent. We have no say in that. They'll decide that you know, as, as an independent body under fair trade standards.
0: That's very interesting. And how have you found the adoption of that when you think about the the audit? The audit
1: is um, a very rigorous process on both ends of um, the trading partnership. So of course, the audit for our producers is much more complex than ours as buyers in the in the fair trade system, because of course, our producers have sometimes hundreds of small producers. Uh, joined together in the cooperative. They themselves are hiring workers. Um, there are, you know, hundreds of farms to to audit. And um, so that process I witnessed uh, I've witnessed more than one audit, but one especially uh, of a flower farm actually in um, Ecuador, and it took a full week. Uh, our audit here as um, buyers in the fair trade system is a much more administrative thing it's to ensure essentially that we've respected that fair trade minimum price and and made social premium payments as Kim has just talked about but we uh, we can have information through the fair trade system about the status of any other licensed member of the fair trade um, international system. And so we can see whether somebody through an auto has got suspended um, for non-conformity. And if they haven't, after a certain number of months, rectified those non-conformities, they will be decertified. And we've seen this happen. When we've seen bananas come into the Canadian market that are impossibly cheap. We know the supply chain so well. We know that the pricing structure so well that when we see a, a, a fair trade banana come into the market price below what we know cost would be, we flag it to the fair trade system. We flag it to Fair Trade Canada and, and the Standards Committee and they'll go and have a look at this. And then we, we've seen this happen over and over again. At first we watch that producer group be suspended and then decertified. And so we really have a lot of trust in the audit system, and we, we re really believe that the standards that have been set by Fairtrade International on sustainable production are being upheld.
0: Okay, that's great. Do you, have you heard any um, demand, I guess, from the end consumers in terms of seeing some transparency in that process?
1: Well, I do a lot of lecturing on fair trade. And so that's often a question that um, I get asked. I wouldn't say that your average consumer buying our bananas has reached out to ask for transparency, but it's certainly something that we are proud to, to talk about. And one of the reasons that we like the fair trade system is that the standards that both small producers that we work with and that The standards we have to respect are published. The fair trade minimum price um, and social premium per commodity and by country are transparent, publicly available on the fairtrade.net website. If you visit that, there'll be a tab that's called standards. And in there, there's a database called prices and premiums. And so we, you know, it's something, as I say, it's something that we really like about the standard. If we're ever challenged on you know is this fair trade thing real we're like well here it is you know these are the prices that we respect this is the the sustainable production that we're buying in a way for that price and um you know here are the building blocks uh we're just
0: following the rules in a way so let's take a step back, and I'd love to understand how you got into sustainability to begin with. Was it something that happened on the personal front, or was it something that you came across professionally? And for you, Jenny, in particular, being the owner and president of Equifruit, how did that come about?
1: I came to business ownership through purchasing an already existing business. Um, and I had had an itch for a long time to be an entrepreneur. I had all sorts of crazy ideas and I came upon an ad uh, for Equifruit, which was very vague. It said that a a business with high ethical standards was for sale suitable for somebody who needed flexible work hours. And I was a new, I mean, a third time, but new mom still. And this seemed perfect for me. So I called the broker and we met uh he talked to me for about an hour about who i was and what my background was what my values were and i guess i i ticked the boxes (laughs) and so he presented me you know slid an envelope across the table to me and there it is it was equifruit and so when i looked at you know read over the prospectus for this business you know, the first thing, of course, it's a fruit business and who doesn't like fruit? It just seems like so accessible and so delicious and so wonderful, it seemed very exciting. But the fair trade angle was really key. You know, it it's what makes the difference. It's really the fair trade that gets us up and gets us moving in the morning, knowing that we can have a business, but have impact, positive social impact at the same time. Uh, fair trade is is sort of um, it's very pragmatic international development, and as a younger person, I worked for two years in a community in northern Namibia, just south of the Angolan border, and I worked at a primary school, but I was witness to the notion that the more a community has economic positive economic activity going on, the better they are able to um, make decisions for themselves according to their needs and values of how their community should develop. So the school that I was working at in Namibia had been a community development project. And so in fair trade, there are just all sorts of beautiful aspects um, that cover, as we said earlier, a whole range of Sustainability. So we're we're talking about um, the way fruit is produced, the way workers are treated. um, But also through the social premium, the way communities are going to develop thanks to um, trade justice, thanks to equitable terms of trade and an investment um, in producer communities. So it's it's just something that um, now is it's my life's work, you know, it's, it's our mission. And the whole Equifruit team stands behind this mission. We're really um, motivated by the sustainability writ large aspect
0: of our business. Thank you for sharing that story. Kim, how about you?
2: Yeah, sustainability. Ah, oh, geez, where do I start? I've always loved sales ever since I was a very, very young person. And I've been in in sales in the food industry, in the spa and beauty industry, I've done door-to-door sales. I've I've done it all. I've tried it all. And what I knew at a very young age when I started out really at 17, 18 years old, was that I had a knack for it. Um, you know, I I had the opportunity at, at about 19, 20 to be running a marketing office in Westmount, Quebec. Uh, I was hiring the staff and training the staff and training the sales rep. So I just knew at a young age, like, this is something that I could do. I could quit school right now and I could open my own office. I was offered to go to the States and open an office, but I just thought, okay, sustainability, like I, if I'm going to make my life plans through that lens has to be something that's going to work for the long term, not something just for the short term. Um, I don't know. I got to a point in my career where I saw that I was helping all of the businesses that I worked for grow, grow exponentially. Um, but I I kind of started to get this itch for wanting to feel really good about what I was contributing. So you know, fine, I could spend, I could go become like the best used car saleswoman you've ever seen. <laughs> and just where I could go crush it in the pharmaceutical industry or wherever you put me, I knew I was going to do well, but I just wanted to do things that that we're making the world a better place, something that I could feel really good about. Um, And I've always had a real interest in marketing and communications at the same time. So um, really when Jenny and I met and she told me that she had bought this banana company and that bananas shouldn't be cheap and that farmers weren't paid well and they worked uh, under exploitative conditions and that's why our bananas are so inexpensive, I thought, oh my goodness, this is gonna be the the best, sales challenge of my life and i loved i loved contributing to this structured environment i'm a structured person i'm a rule follower so i like the structure of fair trade certification that these are the standards that our growers have to respect these are the standards that we have to respect that there's an auditing body that comes in and makes sure that everybody's playing by the rules and nobody's marking their own homework so yeah it just kind of was a natural fit for me and the more that we get integrated into the produce industry at large. And we, the more that we learn about the banana industry specifically, you know, if you take a minute to learn about the history of the banana, like large banana companies, it's totally atrocious. It's, it would make you wanna quit your date job and come and join Equifruit too, because you'd get so fired up about how uh, consumers are offered this crazy cheap fruit And retailers are hesitant to raise the price by 20, 30 cents a pound, because they're convinced they're going to lose their customers. And all the while, it's keeping farmers forced into this cycle of poverty. And so I just wanted to do something about it. And I knew that if I put all of that energy and interest in sales into this one focused thing, that that we could really make the, the world a better place. And we see that happening. We go and visit our growers in Peru and Ecuador, and you go and see the different projects that were supported by the social premium spending and you talk to them and get to know them. Our supplier development manager actually spent six weeks with our growers a couple years ago and stayed in their homes and really got integrated into the community and could see firsthand that impact that fair trade had on their lives. And so it's just really fun at this point to be building a brand from the ground up. You know, the large banana companies started in the late 1800s Equifruit started in 2006, so they have a couple years on us. But we have had this 100% fair trade commitment from day one. And so we're really proud about that value add that we can offer to retailers. And I think that now more than ever, consumers are really looking for brands like Equifruit, a brand that they can trust and feel good to support.
0: Yeah, you've actually brought up a few... um important points that I wanted to discuss a bit further. So one is there's clearly a lack of, I guess, awareness, right? In terms of the most of the general public. And when they see low prices of bananas and let's say other fruit, they're not really thinking about what that implication is for the, um, the growers, right? The original growers of the fruit. And certainly if they knew, um, like you said, they could, would be horrified. And as long as they can afford to pay it, they would be paying it. Right. if you tell me that, I'm like, oh, of course, right? Not not a problem an extra twenty cents. But how do you balance that with households that may be struggling um, you know financial wise, juggling you know family and whatever their situation may be, when they're going to different stores and they have that choice and the bananas are lower price in one versus another because they may or may not be fair trade, how How do you factor that into, I guess, the big picture of everything that you're doing?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And it's one we get asked often. And we're really lucky to be able to respond by saying that fair trade bananas are still completely affordable, no matter what your socioeconomic background is. If you're talking about a conventional fair trade banana or an organic fair trade banana, both products that we offer in Canada right now in Quebec and Ontario, they're completely affordable. So if you think, I mean, Whoever is listening to this podcast, ask yourself, what do you pay for bananas? Most people will probably pay 69 cents a pound, 79 cents a pound around that that price range. Let's say that that store you shopped at was to switch to Equifruit Fair Trade Bananas, like um, Longo's Markets did in Canada. Longo's made this switch to 100% Fair Trade. They now sell their conventional bananas at 99 cents. And they went from 99 cents to $1.29 on their organic. So if you're a shopper in a Longo's, 99 cents for your regular bananas, $1.29 for your organic bananas. So what that represents in terms of a cost to the consumer is about 83 cents more per month or about $10 per year. And we base that on the average consumption, which is about 14, 15 kilos per person in Canada. That's Canadian data. If you add that 30 cents additional per cost uh, per pound, that's where you come to that $10 a year. And so I I think that we would all agree that you can definitely, for for the sake of making sure that farmers are able to break out of that cycle of poverty and have a sustainable uh, price for their fruit and also to improve the lives, the environment and the economy Uh, of those farmers, I think that most people that we speak to say that they would be willing to make that change. I don't know if you wanted to add something to that, Jenny.
1: Yeah, I would just add that um, when we get asked that question, it's often framed in the lens of protecting the food security of Canadians, but we cannot forget the food security of the uh, small producers and plantation workers At the beginning of the supply chain, we cannot solve the poverty of one group by causing poverty to another. You know, there's a recent study that came out, came out in January of this year, which looked at working conditions on union versus non-union banana plantations in Guatemala. About 85% of production coming out of Guatemala is non-unionized. Where, according to the study, workers work on average 68 hour weeks for $1.05 US per hour. This is well below Guatemalan minimum wage. This is below Guatemalan um, labor standards for hours worked in a week. And yet, 40% of the bananas that we import to Canada are from Guatemala. So if 40% of the bananas we're importing are from Guatemala and then 85% are on these non-unionized, terrible working conditions, that's you know, like 35% of the bananas that we eat in Canada are based on essentially, you know, slave labor. It's like terrible, terrible working conditions. And we just cannot forget those people. We have to look at this in a in a broader sense. When we look at the immigration crisis on the southern U.S. border, a lot of those people are fleeing desperate poverty in places like Guatemala. And there is, follow the money, there is a distinct link between what we're paying for bananas here and the poverty that causes people to flee their, their homeland uh, in Central America. We We cannot divorce the two. A small increase at the till here in Canada makes a huge difference at origin. And as as Kim said, bananas, even at the fair trade price, remain the cheapest product in the produce department. The next product up will probably be local apples, which will sell for $1.99 a pound. So it's it's really... uh, a small move that sh- that is long, long
0: overdue. Consumer behavior and psychology is always a very interesting thing to be studying. And I think if everyone knew and had the numbers in the context of what you described, then actual cost or net, you know, out of pocket cost is obviously very low. Like you said, if it's $10 over the course of the year, that's quite negligible. But how does that fit into, I guess, because bananas won't be the only thing that they're buying. And you mentioned that it is one of the lowest cost fruit. And after that, it would be like, let's say local apples. How do you think about it in the context of the total basket and all the other produce? So I know you're focused on bananas, but if let's say the consumer now had to think about fair trade for let's say avocados or other fruit, how does that, that add up and potentially escalate?
1: You know, bananas, I know you've just asked more broadly, but bananas are a year-round crop. Um, banana prices are kept very, very stable, unfortunately very, very low. But if you were to go to the grocery store, as I'm sure you do, <laughs> you know, you will see that the cost of broccoli uh, within a month can can double, you know. Uh, there are wild fluctuations of other commodities in the produce department. And I just don't think that it's um, productive to focus on the small increase in price that we are proposing through fair trading arrangements. And so we all make choices. Perhaps, yes, the cost of avocados might go up if you were to make a fair trade choice. You know, that's, it's all about choices that we make. And I think that Canadians more and more are looking for responsibly sourced, transparent, traceable supply chains uh, based on, um, yeah, ethical uh, trading frameworks that is the home of fair trade. So I just, I I think that we... I think that consumers are smart enough to manage their own baskets. And if a consumer uh, is really watching their pennies, they're going to know that other things fluctuate. You know, you let's say you buy chicken breasts or something, <laughs> you know, maybe you'll have one packet that is uh, 500 grams in one packet that's 600 grams and you may not even notice you might pick up the 600 gram package and that difference in price will be more than you will ever spend as a difference in um, you know a p- potentially fair trade avocado. So,
2: yeah it's got to be a basket view and it's got to be a, a values choice too. You know just to add to that Julianne we, we also have to recognize as consumers Once a a brand like Equifruit comes in and puts some signage up at the point of sale that says, why fair trade, farmers gotta get paid. And then you look at the slight increase in price, you have to recognize like, oh, maybe the price that I have been enjoying earlier was not necessarily paying farmers very well. And so in in a sense, especially in North America, we've just been getting a sweet deal, especially on tropical commodities. Like we tried to bring in pineapples for a little bit and we'll get that going again in the future. But what we learned from that experiment was that we don't pay enough for pineapples in North America at all. We're used to paying one price per pineapple, whether it's a number five pineapple or a number six or a number seven. And those numbers are associated with how many pineapple you fit in the box, right? So like a number seven pineapple is 2.99, a number five pineapple is 2.99. But the cost relative, you know, when you add in transport and all of the other fees, it's the same cost. It's distributed amongst the cost of that fruit. So it's kind of an uncomfortable realization that we have to have as consumers and also an uncomfortable realization that retailers have to make to say, you know what, I have been using this product to drive sales in other categories, and I've been using it as a loss leader, but really at the expense of the farmer. So I need to rectify that. Some some take the approach of just doing it out of the goodness of their heart. Some take the approach of implementing it into a sustainability plan and making sure that their responsible sourcing is at the core of what they do. Whatever it is, we just want farmers to be paid properly. And we wanna get the conversation going on fair trade produce and we always we, we always say we're going to start with bananas it's kind of like that it's going to be that gateway drug into fair trade produce <laughs> consumption because. Everybody buys bananas it's in almost 92% of Canadian baskets on a weekly basis. And so it's the focal point of that produce section and in Canada most grocery stores, you walk into you walk right into produce, the first thing you see is bananas. And so if you walk into a store and it has this sign, right, why fair trade farmers got to get paid, all of a sudden you can have a good feeling about that store, like a Longo's that's making that 100% commitment to sourcing fair trade bananas. You say, okay, you know what, if they're doing a good thing in the produce department, then maybe I'll go pick up some of their fair trade coffee and chocolate and tea and some Ben and Jerry's ice cream and whatever else you're going to pick up that day.
0: Yeah, I think it it is largely an educational play um, and just building that awareness, because I do want to believe that for most consumers out there, once they know and really understand, then they will
2: adopt those behaviors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most people that we speak to, you know, it's it's unfortunately a global pandemic right now. But bef- pre-pandemic, when we were doing a lot of trade shows, and we would speak to a lot of consumers, uh, they would come over and say, "You know, what is this? Is bananas this fair trade thing? What does that mean? Is does fair trade mean organic?" And we'd explain, "No, organic is just you know grown without chemicals. Fair trade is paying farmers fairly, and banana farmers are not usually paid fairly." And they were honestly nine out of ten people would go, "Oh." I didn't know that. Okay, where can I buy Equifruit bananas? And we'd say, okay, well, if you're in Ontario, go here. If you're in Quebec, go here. And then, you know, year after year, we would have these people come back to our booth and they would say, you know, I only buy your bananas. We'd even have some people say, if they didn't have Equifruit bananas, I wouldn't buy bananas that week because they had taken the time to do a bit of research and they just made the decision that they were gonna be loyal to the Equifruit brand. So we definitely see that trickling down to the consumers and, and resonating with them. And it, it's not like a major discussion that that needs to be had. I think, thankfully, we have tools like the internet where you can go and, you know, Google, what does the term banana republic mean? <laughs> you know, 10 minutes later, you're like, okay, where can nice. I find Equifruit Bananas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: that That's very powerful um, yeah, as, a, as a brand to be able to draw um, in shoppers, right, to specific retailers that ca- are carrying your product. and have that be a destination type of product.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: So can you tell me a little bit now, um, switching gears slightly, um, what do you see as some of the next big trends in terms of sustainability?
2: Uh, maybe I'll start, Jenny, jump in too, cause I'm sure I'll miss some stuff. Um, I would say that, you know, just, the fact that we're in this pandemic, we've had a lot of opportunity to, to uh, gather different data and there's been some great data that's come out over the last year, especially, that has really indicated that more than ever, consumers are very interested in where their food comes from. I think you can, if you think back to the beginning of the pandemic, there was this real push for local. We started to realize that, uh, we started to realize how fragile our food systems were in Canada, and if we're not supporting local brands, then we can really you know we basically realize the power of um, the power of voting with our dollar as Canadian consumers um, yeah I'll, I'll maybe I'll maybe let Jenny add in because i I just spoke a whole bunch so why don't you jump in and, and add to that
1: yeah i I would just jump onto what Kim has said that a lot of research has been done over the course of this pandemic where more and more people are, perhaps they have more time. Perhaps as Kim says, the you know global trading was interrupted by the changes in the, um, uh, in logistics uh, uh, due to the after cause effects of, of the pandemic more and more people are interested in choosing making um, choices that are going to put us into a better world on the other end of this pandemic. I mean, people say that in surveys, but our sales data proves it. Our sales have gone up tremendously since the beginning of the pandemic. Of course, if we could erase the pandemic, we would. We are not happy about that a specific reason for the increase in sales, but we do feel that people see the world a bit differently and are willing to make more sustainable choices. In our case, it's in the produce department.
2: I would say, you know, the type of feedback that we get from consumers these days, like people will reach out to us on our social media and say, we love what you guys are doing. We love Equifruit's mission of 100% fair trade. We love that you guys are really bold and, you know, we talk about disrupting the banana business and the banana industry and getting rid of bad banana business practices. Our marketing is really fun and approachable too. So it's not, it's not too complex. Anybody can understand what we're doing and that ultimately we're trying to make the world better and pay farmers fairly. And that really just resonates with people. So there's that clear response from the consumer end that they love what we're doing and that they're, More retailers need to jump on board. They really just need to, you know, get out of the '80s and '70s, and like, at the very least, adjust the cost of bananas for inflation, which you know hasn't happened for fifty years. We should be paying a little bit over a dollar for our bananas, but we're still parked at sixty-nine cents a pound. What do you
0: see as some? um, And we talked about the the trends. some best in class examples so aside from what Equifruit is doing which I would consider is among the best in class examples could you share with our listeners any
2: others even if they're in different industries best in uh, class I mean oh my gosh my mind is flooding with only fair trade companies just because that's yeah. what we're talking about so the, like, right. one brand that one brand that comes to mind is Ben and Jerry's it's a Ice cream brand that most people around the world know and love and maybe people don't know that years ago ben and jerry's made a 100 percent commitment to fair trade what's really interesting about ben and jerry's is that their ice cream is not organic so often organic and fair trade get confused so it's just such a beautiful example of what conventional or regular fair trade um, means so what what does this mean if you buy a ben and jerry's ice cream all of that dairy is local to probably Vermont or wherever it is that they source their dairy, North America. But all of those other ingredients, sugar, chocolate, bananas, cocoa, cinnamon, whatever, cherries, cherry Garcia, whatever they put in there, it's all fair trade certified. So any of those ingredients that they're buying are fair trade certified. And so you'll see that same little mark on the Ben and Jerry's ice cream and equifruit bananas. I think that they do an amazing job at messaging, not just around their fair trade commitment, but in terms of a brand that's like, this is what we believe, this is what we stand for, take it or don't, <laughs> you know, love us or don't. I really respect that. I think that you need to be bold as a brand. And when you, when you have strong values and a really cool mission, then you shouldn't be shy to shout about it. And there's also this super cool chocolate company out of the <laughs> UK called Tony Ciacoloni, they're like really, really cool kind of Willy Wonka kind of marketing initiatives where they are just dreaming up funky stuff. They even did this really cool virtual thing. It was kind of like in the, in the beginning of uh, COVID when everybody realized that they needed to do virtual events, but you know, they were all pretty cut and paste and kind of similar. And then these guys put on such a show. So I would encourage you to check them out Were you thinking of Tony Ciacoloni too, Jenny, or did you have
1: somebody else in mind? Tony Ciacoloni's chocolate bar is not um, in, you know, if you unwrap it, it's not in nice little squares and rows and lines. It's all um, sort of broken bits and triangles. It's all in one solid piece, but it's uh, not evenly distributed. Portions, and they say that um, this is that they they won't change this until there's been an even distribution of value in cocoa's supply chains, which is of course uh, sadly far from reality. We we love those types of brands. We love people who, as Kim says, know what they're um, shouting about and aren't afraid to be bold um, and to make people uncomfortable. Kim talked earlier about uh, the messages that Equifruit uses. You know, we try to um, have content or or messages on our organic banana banding, which have a little bit of humor, but come round with, you know, bring the story back to the fair trade impact that we are looking for. The fact that farmers have got to get paid fairly. And we find that with a little bit of humor and we see this with Ben and Jerry's or we see this with Tony uh, Ciacolone, we diffuse some of the tension in those sometimes uncomfortable conversations about perhaps what we should have done for the last hundred years and didn't. We're sort of saying, let's, you know, let's accept that that's been past trading behavior and let's do something positive going forward. Let's choose a product that will make a difference that is trying to address these problems um, from a global, from a global perspective.
2: If you don't mind, I just wanted to jump in and, and, and just like challenge you know for anybody that's listening to this podcast and they're thinking about other banana companies outside of Equifruit who are also doing sustainable things right and messaging around it, I just want to acknowledge that there have been some improvements in the way that large banana companies are trading. And in terms of the types of sustainability initiatives, the reports that they're putting out. And I think that just going back to one of the questions you asked at the beginning, Julianne, which was you know, around sustainability and what that means to Equifruit, the, the most important thing, when we're talking long-term sustainability for farmers is paying them a sustainable price because you can, you can do other lovely projects, you can plant trees, you can send soccer balls, you can even build a school. But if a farmer and their community is not getting paid a fair and sustainable wage all year long, year after year, they're not gonna be able to fill that school and they're not going to be able to pay for supplies and they're not going to be able to support that education and that growth and that long-term sustainability. So yeah, just not not to, you know, cast a negative light on the other large banana companies, but I think that what we're doing is very, very unique in that space.
1: Something that I would add is that, uh, you know, in Canada, like it or not, we will never be able to grow all of the food that our population demands because of our climate. We have a very short growing season. And so something that's really important to Equifruit is that the fair trade business model is thinking larger than just the last case of bananas that you bought. You know, the fair trade business model is based, as Kim said, on fair pricing, and the economic ripple effects of that are massive. It means that if you're a small producer, and you know you're getting fair pricing for your fruit, and that you're going to get enough within that envelope of fair pricing to pay workers correctly, well, then you're going to send your own kids to school, and hopefully, they're going to finish their education and under a fair trade model, farming is going to actually be an interesting career option for them going forward. It will be a profitable one the way any small business needs to turn a profit. It will be a profitable and interesting career opportunity because if we don't have a new generation of people who are interested in farming for whom it is a... uh, a good career option, then who is going to grow our food here in Canada. It is naive to think that we can rely on exploitative labor for the rest of our lives, and that there won't be an affected origin, that people there are just like people here in Canada. They want their kids to have a better life than they did, and those children are connected to the world through the internet, through everything else, and they see opportunity. And yeah, we have to be sure that farming is a good career opportunity down the line. It has to be, sustainability has to be so much bigger than as Kim says, just an investment in a specific micro community development project. It's the model is much bigger than that.
0: That is a really significant point. Thank you for sharing that. I don't think that the average um, Canadian is thinking um, in those terms, uh, meaning, you know, they might just see a price difference. They already don't fully understand what fair trade means and get confused with organic, as you've described. But to know that helping to um, support those farmers in the countries where we're bringing the bananas from another fruit, let's say, means that in fact, we're sustaining our own supply for the future. I would love to see Wave to educate the public more about that um, much more broadly. Um, I don't know if they're, in terms of your initiatives, um, what type of campaigns um, you have, let's say, run or are planning to run that really focuses in on some points like this one, which I think are really, really important.
1: Yeah, we're very committed to educating Canadians. As I mentioned earlier, I do a lot of lecturing um, in universities and schools about fair trade. You know, in some cases, I just want people to, young business people to think about fair trade as a viable um, business model. Uh, But there's obviously an educational component. We'd like to do much, much more work in this area to to get the word out. You know, Kim mentioned that we have often done consumer trade shows in the past. And the first time somebody asked me whether our bananas were local, I could I didn't have an answer. Like I just I was like, what do you mean? Are these local? But it points to how little most Canadians think about um, where their food has come from. Or at least this was pre-pandemic. You know, as we said, maybe, maybe that is changing, but most people don't think about how far bananas have come, what a sensitive fruit it is, how it goes through on three different ships and a truck to get to Montreal or Toronto, Goes through a ripening process, all of the steps that it takes to get fruit from, from the field to your grocery store shelf. And then at the end of all that, to judge a grocery store on whether that bananas are 79 or 99 cents just it's a tiny bit crazy so we've got so much work to do in that in that area we try to educate through our website through our social media but it's clear we still have large swaths of the Canadian public to reach but we'll keep at it
2: and we do get a lot of support from our certifying body Fair Trade Canada which is part of that Fair Trade International system they have a couple different initiatives throughout the, the year. So, for example, in Canada in May, that's Fair Trade Month. So, retailers are really encouraged to display all of their Fair Trade offerings and tell that story in their flyers and on social media. And then, you know, in October, for example, they have Fair Trade Campus Week. So, through Fair Trade Canada and the Canadian Fair Trade Network, they have this program which was adopted from um, the UK whereby cities, towns, campuses, um, even religious groups, ambassadors can become Fair Trade certified. So I think, Julianne, you're in Toronto. Yes. Toronto is a Fair Trade city. I'm in Montreal, Jenny is Montreal. Montreal is a Fair Trade city. A lot of the campuses that surround us, McGill, Concordia, York, etc., these are all Fair Trade certified campuses. So there's been a lot of work with Fair Trade. It's really a consumer-led movement. And they've come in and formed these committees, you know, student led committees, where they have to go to their procurement committees. And they have to change the rules on how they procure products and they have to be Fair Trade certified. So if you're a Fair Trade campus and you go to any of the food service locations, all the coffee, the tea has to be fair trade certified. You have also have to have offerings on chocolate through your vending machines. And now there's even this silver and gold designation so they can even take it to the next level for these campuses who've had this designation for over a decade or, or close to that where they have to have fair trade fruit. So I recently got in touch, you know, got a call from Aramark and Cisco and we're working together on getting Equifruit bananas into uh, York and some other campuses around Ontario and we've worked with Concordia and McGill in the past in Quebec to get bananas onto campus. On the west coast of Canada you have Discovery Organics that's supplying um, Simon Fraser University with I think even avocados like fair trade avocados, fair trade bananas. So that type of work is really educating these younger generations. They they're learning about fair trade whether it's Jenny coming to speak to them in their political science or agricultural or environmental class, or whether it's learning about it through the fair trade committee. Um, You know, these young consumers are equipped with the knowledge that perhaps our generations didn't have. And then they're going to the grocery store and they're like, oh yeah, a fair trade banana, awesome. This is where I'm gonna shop. Or they go into a grocery store and they're like, hey, how come these bananas are so cheap and not fair trade? I'm not gonna shop here. And what's really cool about that younger generation is that they're very loud on social media. So you're 10 times more likely to share a negative review than a positive. So they're getting on there and saying like, hey, this this should be done, I'm looking for this product, I'm willing to pay more. And the craziest part too is like, you know, if we think about why Equifruit does what we do, it's because retailers think that, that consumers know the price of bananas and they don't wanna pay more. I can tell you that like, eight out of 10 of the last younger, you know, under the age of 45 people that I've asked how much they pay for bananas, eight out of 10 scratch their head. They have no idea because we just don't pay attention to the price. Like we all know we can afford bananas. And when you're standing in front of a display of bananas, the only question you're asking yourself is, do I need yellow ones or do I need green ones? That's it. We're not like, oh, it's 89 cents here. I can't afford that. We can afford it because we're about to put oranges that are $3.99 a pound in our basket, and then we're going to go buy a chopped mango because we didn't feel like slicing it ourselves for $8.99, right? And then this big, beautiful bunch of bananas is going to probably ring up for $2.21 of the cash.
0: So thank you so much for all your insights so far. I have one last question as we wrap up. What would you love to see happen to
2: advance sustainability efforts for society as a whole? I think I would encourage consumers to, you know, what, after they've listened to this, hopefully they've given, they've learned a little bit more about bananas and the way that they shop. And they're probably thinking, okay, $10 a year more, I can do that if, I, if they're not already doing it. But I think that, like, let's just take a step back from bananas and think about other areas too, where you can actually make a lot of impact as a consumer. Um, a lot of fair trade, Products are things that are in our everyday diet. So like our coffee, our sugar, our tea, our afternoon chocolate. These are all products that you can choose to be fair trade certified, which have huge impact. Down to the clothes on our back. You know, I don't think anybody would argue that when they see cheap clothes, they wonder if there was it was maybe produced in unethical environment. We kind of like turn a blind eye to that. So kind of recognize that instinct that we have when it comes to inexpensive clothes. But think about that feeling in the In the grocery store, like nothing in life is cheap. We know right now that we're in a global crisis. The prices of transportation are through the roof. There's a container crisis. You know, all of these items that we enjoy at a low low price, they come at a cost to somebody and it doesn't always end up being us that bears that cost. So just think about how these small gestures on a weekly basis, paying 20 cents more here Thirty cents more there, and maybe buying fewer T-shirts. Like we all have enough T-shirts, you know. And if you do, choose an Equifruit Fair trade cotton T-shirt, and then just stick with it. Take care of it. That's what I would encourage people to do. And then if you're if you're looking to to get more information about us, you know, follow us on social media. We'll point to other brands and celebrate other brands. You can check us out on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Equifruit, and our hashtags are hashtag the only banana, hashtag farmers got to get paid. And now we're really starting to use a lot of hashtag banana badasses and that's getting a lot of traction too.
0: <laughs> Jenny, do you have anything to add to that?
1: Yeah, I, I've i lectured on how do we scale a business model like Equifruits? You know, and, and usually I talk about three elements. One is... Citizen action, we've talked about that, you know, becoming educated, asking for fair trade products if you don't see them or making those, those choices. The second is for Aquafruit to work to educate retailers, to get them to make commitments on the way they are buying, you know, specifically for our product, bananas. So through retailer commitments in the UK, one out of three bananas in the U.K. is a fair trade banana. Just to give you an idea of scale, only 4% of the world market is bought and sold on fair trade terms. So if the U.K. is at 35%, they're punching way above their weight, and that's fantastic, and that's mostly because some very big grocery stores like Sainsbury's, the Co-op, Waitrose, made commitments to buy 100% of their bananas on fair trade terms. We have wonderful retail partners in Canada. Uh, Sovies in Quebec has been with us for a long time, but we really have to give a big shout out to Longo's, who's the first Canadian grocery store, North American grocery store, to make one of these 100% commitments on, on purchasing fair trade bananas. And the impact of that decision is enormous. We'd love to get other retailers following that lead. And being on board, and the third um, thing that can can cause, um, you know, a wave of sustainability. If we're thinking about sustainability broadly, is um, when we legislate um, supply chains. So there is there was modern slavery uh, legislation um, that had gone through second reading that was in committee. Um, in Parliament before Parliament um, was paused for the election. Unfortunately, that meant that the process will have to begin again with the new session of Parliament. Um, But making Canadian companies more accountable for what happens in the supply chains that we here in Canada aren't privy to or looking at, I think that that can have a really major sustainability impact Um, not just for the banana industry, but, but overall for our, for our trading relationships um, here in
2: Canada. We've actually set consumers up for success. So if you jump onto our website, equifruit.com, and you click on find our products, and you don't find the retailer that you typically shop at, we, we've actually listed all of the retailers that you can email with a pre-populated messages that says, you know, I'd be willing to pay a little bit more for, please carry Equifruit bananas. So we do already have support from Longos and Sobies, Farm Boy, Goodness Me, Fresh City in Ontario. Um, but there are, there are tons more that could jump on. And also in Quebec, we have LUFA Farms, which has been a, a great partner to us too.
0: That's fantastic. I, I love how um, you describe even what you're doing on your website in terms of making it as frictionless as possible, right, to facilitate consumers taking action. Thank you yeah. both again for your time. I really enjoyed this discussion.
1: Thank you, Julian. It's great to have this opportunity. We love working with Element 54.
2: Yeah, thank you very much for having us. I hope everybody that's listening to this never looks at bananas the same way again.
0: I don't think they will (laughs) thank Thank you. you to wrap up here are my three key takeaways number one when thinking of sustainability we need to think in terms of three pillars economic social and environmental so for organizations and individuals trying to take a step towards being more sustainable we should recognize that while it would be great to tackle all three of these pillars at once that's not always possible But these three pillars do represent three different ways in which we can make a difference. Number two. I love Jenny's comment about how we cannot solve the poverty of one group by causing poverty to another. Keep in mind that a small increase at the till in Canada can make a huge impact at the origin of where our food comes from. Ensuring that farming is profitable at origin is not only fair, but it also helps to secure our food supply for future generations. And number three. From a marketing perspective. If you're a company that is doing some great things in the sustainability space, don't be afraid to be bold about it. Fun and approachable marketing with a clear and understandable message works. Using humor is a great way to diffuse some of the uncomfortable conversations, but what we should have done many, many years ago. And remember, it's never too late. Thank you again for listening.